You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Everyone knows someone affected by type 1 diabetes. How close are we to a cure? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that funds the testing of existing therapies for new diseases. And my guest is Dr. Raghu Mirmira, Associate Professor of Medicine and Associate Director of the Diabetes and Hormone Center of Excellence at the University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia. Dr. Mirmira and I are discussing his work with transcription factors, the timing of their expression, the genes they target, and their structural properties in the hopes of developing new islet cells for type 1 diabetics. Dr. Mirmira, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about your current research. My research is focused on ways that we could generate new insulin-producing cells for people with type 1 diabetes. As you know, type 1 diabetes is a disorder in which those cells, the insulin-producing cells, are effectively destroyed by the immune system. And if we hope to find a cure for this, it would appear that what we would have to do is generate a new cell type that produces insulin and does so with the same physiology that normal insulin-producing cells. And I'll call those, for the time being, beta cells. And my goal with my research is, as you mentioned, the transcription factors which are important in the development of beta cells during embryogenesis. We hope to be able to use these proteins, these transcription factors, to cause another cell type, maybe a liver cell, for example, to produce insulin the same way that normal beta cells do. So what would keep the body from attacking those liver cells if they began to generate insulin? That's a very good question. I think that the research that I do really needs to be sort of put into the context of the research that the people who study immunology do. And one hopes that the beauty of using this type of technology is that we can effectively evade the immune system. There are aspects that make a beta cell unique. And when we generate a new cell type, we hope that we can avoid recapitulating those aspects that would otherwise cause that immune response. So we're hopeful, although not entirely certain, but but really very hopeful that the cells that we produce could effectively evade the immune system. So you're saying that the reason that the immune system attacks the beta cells may not be because they're generating insulin, but because of the structure or characteristics of the beta cell itself? That's correct. In fact, a lot of the targets of that immune response turn out to be proteins in the beta cell that doesn't appear to be particularly important in the function of the beta cell. It's not true for every person with diabetes, but it is true for most people. So Given that, one hopes that we can generate the right type of cell that can evade this. Now, uh, assuming we can't, we, we obviously rely on our immunology colleagues to come up with ways that we could potentially minimize that autoimmune attack. So even if it turned out that the new cells that you helped create were still immunologically attacked, is there still a good reason for working forward with this research in the hopes of curing diabetes? Absolutely, because today we do islet cell transplants, and these islet cells are obviously subject to the same immune attack that normal islet cells, and islet cells are really the cell types that that contain beta cells. The problem with those is that there's a limited number of donors, and in fact, 
oftentimes we have to have two to three donors to cure one individual with diabetes. So if there were a way that we could generate a potentially limitless supply of insulin-producing cells just from an individual himself or herself, that would provide a, a much greater source so that even if these cells die off after about two or three years, we could potentially give back more cells. So tell us a little bit more about your research. So give us a little more detail on what these transcription factors would do and how they would start to create a cell that would begin to generate its own insulin. What transcription factors do in the very fundamental sense is that they are proteins that bind to specific genes and turn those genes on. And as you're probably aware, the entire development of a beta cell is dependent on the appropriate timing of certain genes. So that's coordinated by transcription factors. And in fact, the beta cell contains a very unique set of transcription factors. So what we hope is, and we've been able to show this in many, many sort of uh, experiments in the past, is that when we turn on a subset of genes with a specific transcription factor, that cell becomes a lot more like a beta cell. And then when we start to combine different transcription factors, that cell effectively takes on the characteristic of a beta cell by secreting insulin appropriately in response to blood sugar levels. So part of my research is really to look at, number one, what are these transcription factors? Number two, what are the genes that they regulate? And number three, if there is a way we can deliver these transcription factors to our cell of choice, and that cell then appropriately responds by turning on that subset of genes. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Operating Officer of Partnership for Cures, and I am speaking with Dr. Raghu Mirmira of the University of Virginia School of Medicine, who is describing his exciting type 1 diabetes research. So you're talking about getting these transcription factors into new cells. How do you do that? Well, there are many ways to do it. One of the ways we do it is by using certain types of viruses. And these viruses, uh, as you know, there are actually several types of viruses, and we think of viruses as really bad organisms. But we can engineer these viruses so they're effectively harmless. And the way a virus works is by attaching to the cell and then inserting its DNA into that cell. So this is really a, a form of gene therapy in that what we do is re-engineer that virus so that it contains the transcription factor genes that we want. Then it would target the cell of interest could be a liver cell, it could be some other cell type, stem cells, for example, and then insert that particular transcription factor into that cell, turn that on, and then hopefully begin that sort of process of cellular reprogramming, if you will. During your research, you've made some other major discoveries that weren't anticipated. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. One of the most important discoveries we made is that it's not just the genes that a cell expresses that gives it its particular cellular characteristic, but it's actually the structure in which those genes are organized. So as it turns out, you can imagine that the cell, as small as it is, if you were to string out the DNA in that cell, it would be almost 12 feet long. That's a pretty remarkable length given the size of a cell. Obviously, that DNA needs to be compacted. And so we used to think that that compaction was a very random process. 
just any way you can cram a lot of DNA into a cell, it would be fine. But you can imagine that the more compacted and crammed that DNA is, the less likely it is that the genes would be expressed. So what we've learned now in the past couple of years with my research is that the genes that are expressed in the beta cell are genes that are not as compacted or crammed as the genes that are not expressed. So one of our focuses in the lab is really to try to see if we can, in a targeted way, uncompact segments of the genome. And by doing so, that alone would turn on those genes just because they're much more accessible to transcription factors. So part of the research now in my lab is finding ways that we can start to uncompact segments of the genome. And this is relevant not just to diabetes, but almost to any genetic research. Absolutely. And it's the case that people have made some pretty important discoveries in, for example, leukemias, in uh, neurologic diseases, and um, other autoimmune diseases, and have learned that this compaction of uh, the DNA is a critical feature that either makes a cell a tumor or it makes a cell inactive. So obviously there's a balance between making segments of the genome too open versus too closed. So how close would you say your current research is to getting to patients? Well, I think that the research that I just described probably is another five to eight years away. However, if you just use that strategy, it's five to eight years away. But in combination with some of the other strategies that we're employing here at the University of Virginia, I think we're much, much closer, particularly the work that I'm doing with Dr. Jerry Nadler. I think that this sort of combinations of different approaches probably would see some translation to patients in the next three years. Tell us about that work with Dr. Nadler. What we're doing with Dr. Nadler is very interesting. We hypothesize that the growth of beta cells is directly proportional to the rate at which beta cells grow minus the rate at which they're destroyed. And that balance obviously is tipped towards destruction in type 1 diabetes. So there's enough evidence that there is growth of new beta cells even in patients who've had diabetes for 20 or 30 years. Now, what we need to try to do is stop that destruction process and at the same time, if possible, accelerate the formation. So we're using combinations of drugs that we know can accelerate the formation of beta cells. And, and the way these drugs work is effectively by turning on transcription factors. And then the other angle, which is to stop the destruction, we're using a novel drug that appears to block inflammation. And inflammation is one of the key components of the autoimmune reaction. And this drug, lysophylline, appears to limit the destruction of islet cells in our animal models of diabetes. So the combination therapy appears to actually reverse diabetes in an animal model, a mouse model, within a month. Translating knowledge from bedside to bench and back, again, is the holy grail of all medical professionals. Physician scientists are the transport vehicle. I want to thank Dr. Raghu Mamira of the University of Virginia School of Medicine for sharing his exciting type 1 diabetes research with us. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing existing therapies for new uses. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at 
ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.